Quite a few years ago uh, now, back in the time when uh, we lived in Northampton and uh, my kids still sat in uh, child seats instead of being the same height as me. Um, we set off on a journey and uh, before we'd left the street there was a voice from the back mockingly calling out, are we there yet? In Luke's gospel, over the past few weeks, we've been journeying. We've been journeying towards Jerusalem. That's where we are told that we were going about four weeks ago. And we might think this is the time to ask without mocking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Because we are traveling closer geographically. And we might have a sense that the arrival is imminent. But in fact, we still have quite a journey ahead. Why might I suggest are we nearly there? Well, in the passage, we are at the home of Mary and Martha. And in another gospel... In John, John 12, we discover that their home is located at Bethany, just outside the holy city. And it's at their home, in John's gospel, Jesus spends the evening eating a dinner with Lazarus that was served by Martha while Mary sat at the Lord's feet. He sat, she sat there and anointed him. Because that was six days before the Passover and the night before the triumphant entry on a donkey with crowds shouting, Hosanna! There's certain similarities with that meal that is yet to come. But Jesus has much further to go before he returns here and then returns here again for those events to happen. Instead of looking forward in time, going, are we there yet? Maybe we need to briefly reflect on where we've been in sort of the past month. as we set off on this journey of getting closer to Jerusalem. As we entered the middle section of Luke, the disciples wanted to call down fire on Samaritan villages over their lack of hospitality. Then when Graham was with you, you heard of the 72 going out with instructions to seek hospitality, to eat what was laid before them, but to shake the sand off their shoes, or rather off their feet, because they wouldn't have shoes with them. Last week, 
We heard a parable where there was hospitality by a stranger to an injured person on the roadside. And again, this week, what's the focus? Hospitality. Martha opens her house to Jesus. It doesn't necessarily suggest that this was pre-planned or really that Martha really knew much of Jesus before these events. But Jesus and his friends come into the village of Bethany and Martha opens her house. But her opening her house is going against the ways that were normally understood. A, a, a woman was not a householder in general. That just didn't really happen. We know from John that she has a brother, Lazarus, but the place is not named as being Lazarus's house. The place is not his, it is hers. And she invites Jesus in. Now, it's one thing for a traveling rabbi to receive the hospitality of a man or a couple. But here, Martha is named, making her a single woman that is inviting in and and one that the culture would restrict and not give any position to. And what would they say of such a woman having a male house guest? Or that house guest going into such a home? Culture restricts, but Jesus does not stick to the cultural boundaries. And we've seen that in reading after reading too, haven't we? Last week, he was painting Samaritans in a good light. This week, however improper it may seem to an observer of first century culture, he's staying in the women's house. But what cultural boundaries do we place on where we go and who we talk to? How do we think of other groups in the community? Do we set our boundary in the same way as Jesus, that it is open to anyone and to everyone who is willing to engage with the word? Or maybe do we restrict it just to those who are like us? Martha's sister, Mary, sits at the visitor's feet. She absorbs what he says with what a child in primary school might relate to nowadays as whole body listening. She looks at the speaker. She has positioned her body such that it's facing towards the speaker. She's not rushing as Martha does with only one ear open and thinking, how long does this pot have to cook and how many plates do I need and whether there's enough bread that's been baked. But she is fully engaged 
in the teacher's words. She's there, both ears open, mind-focused, heart-receiving. She's paying attention. I'm sure that we, that we all know that driving a car using a mobile phone in our hand reduces concentration on the road and could contribute to an accident. Hence why there's a potential £200 and six penalty point fine. Not for causing the accident, but for holding the phone. We need to concentrate on the road ahead. But not driving. Do we focus on the speaker? Do we really pay attention to those who are trying to tell us something? Or do we simply juggle their words into the multiplicity of our life? Do we pay attention to our children or our parents, our wife or our husband, our neighbor, our friend, in a way that shows they have the priority rather than the thing that we want to do? Do we do it in a way that shows that what they are sharing is actually welcome. And that we care what they think. Even if we disagree with every word that comes out of their mouths, do we love and value the individual in a way that gives of ourselves towards them? Do we do it in a way that says time with them is precious? And similarly, if we are speaking, do we focus our mind on that person we're trying to communicate with? That we're trying to put the words of our heart towards do we allow our faces to be seen by them when we're going through joy or sorrow or pain? Do we let them see in our body the challenge that we might be facing? Do we give the person we love our time when we communicate with them? Or are we maybe transfixed by the small screen in our hand or some other distraction, some other chore, something that we have to get done? Mary's stillness, her obedience, her listening is showing respect to the house guest. It is hospitality. Martha also wants to provide hospitality. She's beavering away with her preparations, perhaps primarily to get the meal ready. And there has to be some food there, doesn't there? I mean, if there's a guest there. 
There has to be food. But where is her mind? And where is her focus? As she bustles and rushes, she gets frustrated with Mary's full commitment to listening. But she does not direct her distress towards her sister. Not Mary, when are you going to help me? That's not what she does. But uses the accusation, Lord, don't you care? Of course he does. But Martha directs what is her anger, I would say, towards her sister at Jesus. And how often do we, when we go to say something in our frustration on a topic, direct it towards someone that, that can respond, that's not actually the cause of that frustration, the cause of that pain? How often do we needle at someone that's the wrong person? Just the other day, I, I saw a tweet from a, a, a cello player whose instrument, despite being in a, a sturdy case, had been damaged in transit at Schiphol Airport. And the, the antique is his livelihood. And he could not play in the concert that he was traveling to um, because of the damage. And he said that even when that instrument is repaired, to his ear and to the perfect ear of the concert goer, it will sound different. No matter how good the repair is, the voice is changed of that cello. But he also said in what he wrote that it's no use for him to simply shout down the phone at a member of airport staff. Because that will be the person that damaged the cello. And they can't undamage the cello. And giving abuse to a different low-level staff member will in no way change what has happened and will simply make that employee's day awful. The management of the airport need to do something. But how we give the information that something needs to change doesn't need to be abusive. Or what for us on the national issues of wait for an ambulance and subsequent hospital handover time, or the inability to get a GP appointment when you want it, or the waiting time for surgery, these are generally not down to to paramedics or GPs or the receptionists or the medical staff in the local hospital. 
but caused by long-term NHS funding and policy. Though that's not how it's reported by the media, is it? So people who are not to blame receive the abuse and the negative press, which makes recruitment and retention harder still and an ever-increasing downward spiral. Martha challenges Jesus. Don't you care? Of course he does. But Jesus, on being challenged to speak to Mary, speaks instead back to Martha. Martha is worried about many things. But she should not be. We don't need a lot, Jesus is saying. Just a little will do. She's got her priorities wrong. What are the concerns? What are the priorities that we burden on ourselves, that weigh us down? that we might simply need to drop, that we don't need to get upset about, that we don't need to get angry over, or that we can address in a different way. Jesus says that there's only one thing that matters. He's sort of saying, what are you wasting your time doing this for? Why are you getting worse? Now, of course, this is a bit of a contrast to last week because last week finished with the expert in the law being told to go and do. There'd been disgust of loving the neighbor and it was, well, go and love your neighbor then. It was like a go and get on with it. Go and love as the Samaritan did on the roadside. Go out of your way to love in action. But to Martha, who has opened her home to Jesus and then spent the rest of her time preparing, he says, Mary's chosen what's better. He's not saying we shouldn't cook for our guests. He's not saying that action isn't important, but saying that when we can do something, something that's really great, we should actively choose to do the best thing. Ecclesiastes 3, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun doesn't include a time for cooking and a time just for listening. But maybe that was an oversight. Maybe that is something we need to hear. When a wonderful opportunity arises to do the best thing or to do the unique thing, do we do it? One of the 
earliest experiences of my sister was 53 years ago this week. She was a toddler. She was two years old. And she was woken up in the middle of the night to see the live TV pictures of Neil Armstrong setting foot on the moon. Now, most parents have sensed that if a child of a couple of years old is sleeping, you let them sleep. Or what will happen the next day? Yeah, you throw it for the rest of the week, don't you? It's not just got to be one day to recover. It's got to be ages. But there was a unique event, the first footprints being made. Do we seize the day? Do we take the precious moment? That's the kind of moment that Mary and Martha were having with Jesus in their house. And yet Martha was rushing about, not seizing the day, not grabbing the moment. But I wonder how Martha felt at Jesus' words. Does she sit down now with Mary at the master's feet and give herself over fully to listening? It doesn't tell us. The gospel doesn't say how she responded. But maybe that's not the point. Maybe the question is, how do we respond on hearing of this? Are we there yet, focused on Jesus, sitting at his feet, trying to discern his word for us, trying to grow as disciples, listening to that every word with every ounce of our being, Or are we still too busy trying to do the things we think are needing done while still missing the point that our purpose is to simply love with every ounce we are? Are we there yet? Amen.